How are we doing? Wonderful. My name's Kevin. I am the student pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us for the final week of our question series. And joining us to help answer all the questions is Dr. Gene Beckner. Y'all give it up for... Yeah, that was tepid. Come on, yeah, let's... Listen, it's no small thing to, to sit in front of a group of teenagers and answer your questions. So, man, Gene, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Gene, I, I didn't prep you for this, but I'm going to hit you with a couple of rapid-fire questions that weren't okay. in your notes. Gene, right. what is your favorite color? Blue. What's your favorite pizza topping? I would say pineapple, but that's your first question. Yeah, we're going to get so, to that in just a minute. Probably mushroom. Mushroom? Yeah. I will never yuck someone else's yum, but... <laughs> I did not. Anybody else? Mushroom? Anyone? Wow. Okay. I am out of step with the pizza world. Who knew? Uh, Gene, who is your favorite NFL team? The Philadelphia Eagles. Fly, Eagles, fly. Oh, they, they got Eagles a big, big game coming up? Uh, maybe next week. Maybe yeah. next week. Yeah, they're yeah. taking this week off. Gene, do you think the Eagles will win the Super Bowl? I do. Does anybody else think the Eagles will win? <laughs> Does anybody Man, not know who the Eagles are? Persons. Couldn't name a single team in the yeah, game? Yeah, who's... Who's the heckler back there? We have security. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. Seven and nine. Woo, wow. good job. <laughs> All right, <laughs> so if you're, if you're coming in here with us for the first time, and, and I always think about that, like you may be wondering, what's going on? Why are these two bald guys up here? What, what's about to happen? So several weeks back, we gave you the opportunity to submit some questions. And last week, uh, we had some great guest panelists who helped answer the first half. And then today, Gene and I are going to try to ping pong back and forth between the remaining questions. Uh, I do want to say this kind of as a preamble. Questions are good and yeah. doubts are okay. Yep. If you find yourself in a church at any point, and they are shaming you for having questions or doubts, you feel like you're being shoved to the side or told don't ask those things, don't talk about those things, you're in the wrong spot. Find a faith community that will embrace your questions and doubts and wrestle with them honestly. And I can't promise you that Gene uh, nor I will have all the answers tonight. Uh, this week, I got really into some rabbit holes trying to give just the deepest, most concrete answers on some of these things. And what I realized was, we can't possibly hope to do that. Our goal tonight is simple. We want to give you kind of the first couple steps down a path, and then you go do some research. Go do some studying. See what the Bible has to say about it. Do some research and come back. And if you're like, man, I, I didn't agree with what Gene said or what Kevin said, I, can we talk about it more? Absolutely. We would love to continue to deal with these questions beyond this series being over. And so... Please, please, please understand, if you come away from today confused or feeling like, you know, you didn't go deep enough into the question, for the sake of time, we have to move with speed, but we also want to have some accuracy. Okay, is everybody with me? All right, we're going to roll through some of these first ones because some of them are not as serious as others, though I don't want to, uh, I don't want to break the heart of whoever asked this one. Why do people like pineapple on pizza? My answer is we live in a fallen world. I don't know. Uh, who likes pineapple on pizza? Is it the citrus that it offsets it for you? Is that what does it for you? Are you just trying to be cool? I don't, I don't like pineapple on my pizza, but a great saying that I learned years ago, don't yuck someone else's yum. So more, more power to you. Fair enough. Okay, uh, number two. Someone asked me how gravity works and why the ocean isn't falling into the sky. 
This is where I knew I was in trouble. I spent like 30 minutes on this, and I was like, this is a silly question. I don't know why I'm spending so much time on this. Here's what I found out, though. Gravity, does anybody know the force that gravity exerts? 9.8 meters per second squared is roughly 200 times stronger than the rotation of the Earth. So that's why you don't fly off, and the ocean doesn't dump off into the sky because gravity. Anyway, moving on. We can't spend too long on it. Number three, how do you get vitamin D? parentheses, the sun, into a drink. You laugh, but again, 30 minutes into researching vitamin D, I was like, I have a problem, I gotta stop. Uh, the sun actually does not produce vitamin D, it produces UVB, which interacts with the skin to make vitamin D. Uh, what you get from beverages or food is biologically inert, and it requires two hydroxylations in the body to convert to vitamin D. How do you feel about it? Thank you, thank you. I, whoever started that, bless you, bless you. Um, but I don't know. Drink some OJ, I guess. Um, question four. We'll start to get a little bit more serious. Do Jews and Catholics go to heaven? And my simple answer is, do they trust Jesus as Savior? I genuinely believe there are people who go to Catholic church, go to mass, who, who probably really do love the Lord. And there are some Jews that are known as Messianic Jews. They believe Jesus is the Messiah. There are also Jews who are still waiting for the Messiah to come and deliver them. We believe that's who Jesus was. And so depending on how they view Jesus will depend on where they spend eternity. That's true for all of us. All right, moving on. You're like, man, you're not even calling on this other guy. I know. I'm going to get to Gene in just a minute. I'm just enjoying the show. Do you like, do you like this? You got was a it? lot of energy. Oh, man, I came ready. Like that it. vitamin D question got me pumped up. Uh, anyway. All right, number five. Why doesn't the Bible talk about young Jesus? the kid. And number six, how old was Jesus when he died? Uh, briefly, I'll tell you, the Bible does touch on Jesus' childhood, but the bulk of its focus is on his ministry that took place between age 30 and 33. Uh, there is a little bit there, uh, but not a ton. Why? I don't know. I think probably there was a focus on what mattered most, and that was those three years uh, between 30 and 33. And that's how old Jesus was when he was killed. He was 33 years old. All right, number seven. Gene, I'm finally going to throw it over to you. Someone wanted to know, what are some things you pray for? So Gene, talk to us about your prayer life. What are some things you pray for? Um, well, first of all, you need to pray for things that matter to you, right? So whatever's on your heart and your mind, and um, don't think that anything is too small, kind of like these questions that we're going over. By the way, you know, the fact that you have a leader that cares enough to elicit the questions from you is rare sometimes. Uh, I have been under leaders before who don't want to hear what you have to say. They just want to give orders. So um, I would say that he cares about you. Uh, and I say every time I get up here that I will tell you that, that he loves you and wants the best for you. Um, so be in prayer for him as he leads you guys. But, you know, go to God with what matters to you, you know, and things change. You know, things are going to be different when you're 30 years old than they are when you're 15. But it doesn't make it any less important because that's what's happening in your life. So, you know, one thing that I, I pray for almost every single day is James 1.5, which is wisdom. And God says he will give you wisdom. But the only way that you get wisdom is if you have knowledge. And knowledge comes from God's word. That's why we read the Bible and that's why you go to church and that's why you sing the songs that you do. So keep in mind that whatever you are putting into your system, whatever you're reading or watching, is knowledge. 
you got to ask yourself the question is, can, can it become wisdom? But God will take what you have experienced, and we'll get to this later on another one, and turn it into wisdom. And wisdom is basically taking knowledge that you know and making good decisions. So that's the number one thing I pray for every day. Yeah, I think that's so good. Um, some things that I would encourage you to pray for, and this is something I pray for. I, I heard this a couple years ago. The context was, it was thinking about marriage, but, and I've extended it to my own children. And the question was this. If you don't pray for your spouse, if you don't pray for your children, who do you think is doing that for you? Mm-hmm. Like, I love you, but I don't know your family. I'm not positioned in such a way that I can pray for them in the same way that you can. It's my job, and it's, my, it, it, it's the blessing of my lifetime to have a family to pray for. Uh, and, and you have a family, and maybe there's complicated relationships there. Man, all the more important that you pray. So pray for your family. Pray for your friends. Pray for the people God has placed in your life. Um, and then, you know, just to kind of echo some of what Gene said, there's nothing that God doesn't care about in your life. You can pray about anything. Uh, so he, he wants to hear it. He already knows, but, but do talk to him. Okay, number eight. How do we become slow to anger? Uh, there's really only one way. You have to get James 1.19 tattooed on your arm. That's it. If you don't do that, no. Uh, I did that because anger is probably the struggle of my lifetime uh, to this day. To this day. Like last week, my wife had to say to me as I was interacting with our three-year-old, Kevin, you have to know when to walk away. And that made me more mad. But she was right. Um, so this is still a struggle of mine. For me... Um, I ask the Holy Spirit to help me with this all the time. That is something I pray for. Uh, I read books on, on anger. I've got some in my office if you're interested. Uh, I write out verses that pertain to anger, and I have them that I can go and read them. Uh, I jot them down in my journal. I put them on my steering wheel. Uh, I try to keep God's Word ever before me. I talk through things with people. I try to maintain perspective. Whatever I'm so mad about today, I probably won't even remember tomorrow. So... That's some of my strategy. Gene, how do you deal with this? Well, one thing to remember about anger is there's something under it. So how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but you've blown up and then afterwards you feel better, but then you realize, you know, I really wasn't angry at that person. I was angry. I was upset about something else. So keep in mind that anger uh, fades. Um, Like Kevin said, having people to talk to, having people to kind of, um, you know, get it out of your system a little bit. But also this is where wisdom comes in. You start praying and say, God, what exactly is there? Because most of the time it's because your feelings are hurt. But mm-hmm. most people don't want to admit that their feelings are hurt. They'd rather just get angry because that's an outward thing. So keep that in mind is when the reason why the Bible says stay away from people that are angry is because a lot of times angry people do damage. Mm-hmm. And you can say you're sorry after you hurt somebody in your anger, but you can't take it back. So if you could learn how to, before you get angry, be able to get more in touch with, hey, what's really happening here? Talk to someone that you trust, and you may still not like the result of something that happened, but you'll notice that the anger kind of goes down where it can be controlled a little bit. Yeah. Uh, To try to throw some scripture behind some of this, too, there are a ton of Proverbs about anger. You can read what Jesus says about anger in Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26. And then just to go back a beat as far as prayer, if you want to see how Jesus taught us to pray, you can go and look in Matthew 6. Uh, He talks about prayer from verses 5 on down to about 18. So uh, check out God's Word on these things. Uh, just as we're giving you answers, we're coming from God's Word, so that's important to go back and check. All right, number nine. How does the Holy Spirit fit people into our lives, Gene? Um, well, for those of you who don't know, I used to be an English teacher, and I was also a coach and an administrator. And I can't tell you how many times when I was teaching, someone said, this is my soulmate, and they're in ninth grade. And no offense, <laughs> You have strong emotions, but they never saw each other after high school. 
And so a lot of times what people would say is, well, God brought her or him into my life because I've been praying for a boyfriend slash girlfriend, and then they just showed up. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's what that means. So we're coming back to James 1.5. You'll see the theme here about having wisdom is to be able to say, hey, is, is this person in my life to help me grow closer to God, or is this somebody that I feel like is pulling me away? It doesn't make them a bad person, but the Holy Spirit could be doing things in your life not to necessarily condemn you, but to say, hey, look, let me put this in front of you and let me see how you're going to respond to this because we need to learn to rely on this room and these leaders to say, hey, can you give me some perspective? Because sometimes we don't have great perspective because we have a narrow view of things, right? Like when you want something really bad, you have a tendency to not pay attention to all the other facts that are there telling you, hey, this is not a good decision. Now, on the flip side, uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 would be the scripture I would talk about. The Holy Spirit talks about the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness. The last one's self-control. And a lot of people don't like that one, but that's evidence that God is working in your life. So if you're being tempted to maybe do something that's not what you know to do, but you go, oh, I just can't help it then maybe there is a piece of you that needs to go back to God and say, hey, will you, will you help me? That doesn't mean that if someone new comes in your life, you go, oh, get away, or you necessarily say, oh, this is my soulmate, this is going to be my best friend for life, but you do start asking God, what does this mean, right? What does this mean? This person is in my life. I feel like we're connected. What are you, what are you trying to tell me? And we're going to get into the, the, the concept of hearing God's voice. Mm-hmm. God will speak. Because he does not want you to have to guess. He wants to guide you. That's a good word. Good word. All right, uh, number 10. <clears throat> How do God and science come together? Within that specifically, can you address evolution? Uh, this is where some of you are probably going to be like, well, here we go. We're going to have to part ways at this point. <clears throat> I want to say this in advance. We are pastors on staff at this church. We are coming from a place where we accept God's word as truth. If you're not in that place, it's very easy for you to just dismiss the things that we're saying. We're quoting scripture. We're saying the Bible says, but you may go, well, I don't believe what the Bible says. Okay. I would challenge you, though, to continue to do research, e- even from that position, but I would challenge you to consider God's word and what it has to say. This is probably one of the deeper rabbit holes I got into this week because I wanted to be able to answer this definitively. And I'm realizing. I can't give you definitive answers in such a short period of time. I can try to give you some beginning steps on a trail. Um, Evolution, guys, basically is talking about things were very simple and then evolved into more complex organisms that we have today, that we observe today. Uh, It's a difficult concept to to grasp, complexity coming from simplicity. Um, evolution has no power to create new genetic information. So you begin to ask, well, where did it all come from? What was the genesis of things? Uh, You look at the complexity of creation, it seems to point to a creator. Uh, If you want to really get into the weeds, uh, Michael Behe is a biology professor. He wrote a book called Darwin's Black Box. In that, he talks about the concept of irreducible complexity. And I know I'm throwing a lot at you. You're like, I don't read my own biology textbook. I don't want to read some other one. But I'm just telling you, uh, you can start to study about that principle. Within evolution, you, know, you have to ask yourself, if evolution is true, why don't we continue to see it in our world today? 
Like we don't see species evolve into other species. We see what's called microevolution versus what would be macroevolution, like me growing wings to be able to fly away like a bird, uh, which I think is probably a song. Uh, you can Red Bull, right? Yeah. Or I guess I could have a Red Bull. That would give me wings. Um, so yeah. Uh, well, you got you, a tattoo, right? Is yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. You can. Uh, in my notes, I just put fossil record gap. Google that on your own time and. and Welcome to the rabbit hole. Uh, you know, there are some people who are proponents of what's known as theistic evolution, uh, meaning God created things, and, but then he guided the process of evolution. Problem with that is it directly contradicts about 12 things in Genesis 1 through 3. So I want to challenge you to, to go and research more of this. I mean, I, I got all these printouts. I brought my college systematic theology book. Like, if you want to borrow this, I actually have two of these. You're like, what kind of nerd has two copies of a book this thick? Me. Okay, so you can borrow one. There's a ton in here. We, we can read about it. Uh, if, if I was going to give you the simple answer, the Bible, which we claim is the authoritative word of God, says God created everything. It didn't evolve out of nothing. So that, that would be my simple answer. Gene, I know I'm probably missing something in here. Well, Anything the key you word add? is it's a theory. Yeah. Who's taken who's taken biology already in, in high school? I mean, it's a theory. So if even if a teacher said, no, this is, I would say, well, has the theory been proven? Right. Because otherwise we wouldn't keep calling it the theory of evolution. Right. It's just a theory. Yeah. And I do want to read, you know, from this printout, I thought this was really interesting. It says, faith is required to believe in creation or evolution mm -hmm. because adherence of both views makes cl make claims about an unrepeatable past that was not observed by humans. So... Mm -hmm. To Gene's point there. And then um, it also says, simply put, past events like the origin of the universe are outside the realm of observable and repeatable science. Mm -hmm. Biblical creation is true because the ultimate authority on the subject, God, said so. But you have to decide, is that good enough for you? Like, God said so, and that settles it. Like, is that true for you? It is for me, even when that's hard. Even when I'm like, man, God, I don't know. But God gets to make the call. I, I don't. So, anyway, if you want to talk more about it, like, I brought... Very little of what I had this week, so come see us. We can talk more about it. All right, Gene, I'm going to throw over to you here for this batch of questions. They're kind of varied. Uh, let me read them for everybody. Number 11, why does God create? Number 12, did God really make everything in seven days, or was the length different to him? Number 13, how old is planet Earth? Number 14, what is our explanation for carbon dating, quote-unquote, proving that the universe is billions of years old? And Gene, before I throw it to you, I just want to say, for those of you who are asking these questions... Golly, you're sharp. Like, I, I have the utmost respect for you at 15, 16 years old thinking through this type of stuff. So kudos to you. You're awesome. Gene, take it away. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if to say that was a really good intro. But, you know, why does God create? Well, the, the Bible's clear that God created us. But it says, uh, is there anyone here who's Jewish? Before I say this. So all of us were adopted. Okay. Hmm. And the Bible's clear that God said that it gave him pleasure to do it. He wanted to do it. And he did it knowing everything that you would do wrong. So even if you live in a house or you are at school and you feel like nobody likes you and you feel like you're an outcast and it's not working out, uh, just remember that God was the one that created you. Yes, you came through your parents, but God was the one that allowed that to happen. And it says clearly that he had chose to adopt you and that he did it because he loved you and it gave him great joy. So that changes everything because if you start off with this idea that, well, I'm a mistake and I'm no good and nobody likes me, then that's going to influence how you treat yourself and how you treat other people. 
And so God is a creator by nature, right? He, he did not have to create, but he chose to. So that's a good thing for all of us. And I know that um, Kevin put some scriptures in there. Are we hitting the rest of it? Or are we? Uh, yeah, we can kind of take okay. it all in a batch. If you want to read why God created Isaiah 43, 7, check that out. Revelation 4, 11. Um, so just, just some scripture for you. So yeah, Gene, talk to us about um, you know, the age of the universe, the age of the earth, you know, and tie that in if you can to, you know, did God make everything in seven yeah. or six days and then rest on the seventh day? Literal days, yeah, I indefinite mean, periods of time. Like Perry says, if you're ever in the service on Sunday, he says, this is what I think. But again, you can throw that out if you disagree with it. I personally believe it was six days and resting on the seventh. But if it's the other way and I get to heaven, I don't think I'm going to be bummed out. I don't think I'm going to be like, all right, well, that's, it was thousands of years instead of seven days. Um, Nothing wrong with that question. My bigger question would be, as Kevin talks about rabbit holes, don't get stuck in rabbit holes on this because it's not essential. What is essential is, is what's your relationship with Jesus like? But it is interesting mm -hmm. to think about how big God is that he could create everything like that, whether it took seven days or whether it took seven million years. Yeah, there, there are people, hear me, who genuinely love Jesus who disagree on this. Yep. Some say it was six literal days of creation, some people go, no, each day had to have been a lot of different period of time. If you want to, I mean, I'm telling you, if you really want to get in the weeds, the Hebrew word is yom. Everybody say yom. Y-O-M, yom. Y -O -M, yom. Uh, but I'm pretty sure the O has some squigglies in it. Uh, you, can, you can do some research on that. Uh, you know, some, some people, as they're trying to think through this, and I'm not saying any of these are definitive answers, but ask yourself these questions like, how old was Adam when God created him? He was a grown man. So how old was the earth when God formed it? How old was it? That's something people think about. Um, there are some people who postulate that there's an indefinite amount of time between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Others say there's a gap of time between Genesis 1-2 and Genesis 1-3. I don't know that I believe that. I'm telling you there are people who are wrestling with this. They're just trying to find a place to get their hands on it and think through it. But, but to Gene's point... Is this an essential thing that if you believe differently on, we're going to chuck you out of Brookwood Church? A absolutely not. It is interesting. One thing on carbon dating, and I did a lot of research on that this week, mm -hmm. my understanding of that is carbon dating is not a fact. It's a manner of interpreting data, but again, it's unobservable, unrepeatable stuff. So, all right, got to keep moving. We got a lot of questions. Again, come see us if you've got more questions. Uh, I've got 15 through 18 up here. Uh, will there be a new heaven? Why will there be a new heaven if heaven is already perfect? 16, how will the rapture work? Why does scripture, what does scripture say about the rapture? 17, how do you know you're, where you're going to go when you die? And when you die, do you have to face God, parentheses, even if you go to heck? Appreciate your uh, PG approach mm. there. Question 18. Uh, <laughs> the idea of a new heaven, uh, you, you have to get into, again, the, the language piece. Heaven can have multiple meanings. So the heavens, like the celestial bodies, creation, um, this world will be wiped away. And God is going to recreate it perfect as it was before the fall. Uh, and then he's going to bring down the holy city and live among us. So um, I don't know that it's speaking so much of heaven being done away with as it is heaven being realized here on earth. How will the rapture work? Uh, let me throw some scripture at you because, again, there are lots of books written on this. And we can't unpack them all. Matthew 24, 44, Jesus says he's coming back. That's good news. He also says he's going to come at a time no one can predict. 
So stop trying. Like, don't waste your time. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. Mm-hmm. Now, the rapture, if you want to really get into the specific scripture for that, there's only one place in the scripture that talks about being caught up in the air. This is 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17. Um, there are some signs that the Bible talks about. The gospel being preached to all nations. This time of great tribulation, you can read in Mark 13. False prophets, signs in the heavens, the Antichrist. I mean, you can get into these three major views of amillennialism, premillennialism, pre-tribulational, premillennial. I'm telling you, like, you can get into this stuff, man. Um, a lot of $10 words there. Do some research. There are Christ-honoring people who disagree on a lot of this. Um, as far as how can you know where you're going to go when you die, where do you stand with Jesus? First John 1 John 1.9 says that... that this piece of scripture is written that we may know. Like you can know where you're going. You don't have to live in constant fear. Uh, you can know that if you've trusted Christ, he's faithful to forgive our sins. And when you die, you have to face God, even if you go to heck. Yes, all of us will stand before God. The most staunch agnostic atheist person you know, the most devout Christ-honoring person you know, they will stand before Christ, and so will you. So... I don't know when that'll happen for you. You could live another 50 years. Your life could end very soon. Like, that's just the reality of the world. Be ready because you will face God. All right, 19 through 22. Uh, Gene, kind of batching these. I'll throw them to you, tackle them uh, how you see fit. 19, why do bad things happen to good or innocent people? Pretty simple answer, right, Gene? Uh, 20, why are some people born seemingly bad? 21, does God plan our hardships? And in 22, if God exists, then why does he let bad things happen, such as sexual abuse, murder, abuse, crimes, and other things? And I, I joked, this is an easy thing. This is, this is heavy, and this is difficult. So, Gene, good luck. Yeah. Well, the, the problem with um, freedom, right, with having some choice, is there are consequences. So if you choose, for instance, if your parents tell you, how many have ever done this, where your mom gave you a list of things to do, and you had all day to do it, and you didn't do it, and then she's coming home, and you're running around trying to get it done. I'm the only person. Okay, lots of people, right? So there's a consequence to that. Like her mood might be bad. You might get in, you might get in trouble, that kind of stuff. Or if you're on your phone past a certain time, or you do poor in school or whatever, right? So we all have some freedom. Well, God loves us enough that he says, hey, look, I want you to choose whether you love me or not. What kind of world would it be? What kind of beings would we be? What kind of God would we serve if he said, you have to love me? And you don't. That's going to be a horrible experience. And because God says, I will give you the option, guess what? People choose to not love God and they choose to do things that don't please him and hurt other people. And so because we live in a fallen world, we live in a world where sin exists bad things are going to happen. That does not mean that God has stopped being good, which some people will say that that's what happens. One thing you have to be careful about, especially as you are uh, becoming young adults, is there's this theology that says if something bad happens to you, God's punishing you. And that's untrue. Now, you could do something where the consequence gets you, right? You cheat on a test and you get busted, you get a zero, and your grade goes to an F. Okay, does that mean that God's punishing you? No, that, that's a natural consequence to getting caught doing something wrong. Sometimes we have to deal with pain. We have to deal with other people's stuff. The good thing is, is that Romans eight twenty eight, which is a scripture you can look up, 
God says that it will all work out for our good if we love him and we're called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean it is good. It doesn't mean it feels good. It doesn't mean it's good in the moment. But it has the potential to be good. So here's my suggestion. If you're going through a hard time and you're dealing with something difficult, ask God to start turning it into something for your good and see what happens. Some of the best counselors, teachers, pastors, coaches are people that had rough backgrounds, but God used it for their good. Everybody knows who Tim Tebow is, right? Anybody know his backstory about his mom? She had an option. She was told by the doctor to abort him, Hmm. and she said no. And they said, well, he's going to be born with birth defects, and he'll never be a normal kid. And she said, nope. Your health is at risk. She said, no, I'm going to have him be born. And he was born. Perfect example. Sorry, I'm getting a little rabbit trail. When he played for, for those of you that know him, when he played for the Denver Broncos one year, and they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in the playoffs. <laughs> um, if you look, you can probably find it on, on Instagram or something. Um, in that game, you know, he always wore 316, John 316, which is for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son so that all could be saved. In that game, he threw for 316 yards. 31.6 million people Googled John 3.16. The time of possession was 31.16 for his team. Go on and on. There's all these 3.16s that went along with, yeah, obscenity. So God turned something that was bad or that was hurtful into something good. That does not excuse people from treating you bad. And that's, again, where you have a community, you have leaders, where if you go, you know what, I think maybe the person I'm dating is not treating me well. I think maybe there's an issue with an older person who is mistreating me. Come to somebody that you can trust and say, can I just process this with you? Because you also are allowed to have boundaries at the same time. It doesn't mean that you just have to sit and let someone be abusive towards you. And that's a hard, and that goes back to James 1.5 to ask for wisdom like, hey, is this the way I should be treated? Because a lot of times, if it's not drawing you closer to God and it's not with love, joy, and peace, and goodness, and kindness, and gentleness, then it's probably not the right way to be treated. Hmm. Uh, I'll add to that. You know, as far as God planning our hardships, you know, if you want to Google more about this and do some research, the problem of evil, if you just type that in, if, if you go to do, people say if God is all powerful and he's all loving and he chooses to do nothing, then he must either not have the power to change it or he must not really love us. Don't believe that's true at all. I think Gene just gave a great answer to that. But I would tell you, Sometimes those bad things happening can be a refining process for you. Uh, Mama Lynn, who's sitting in the back, we were talking some in the office this week just about some of the things in our lives that have been difficult, some loss, some grief, but they've shaped us into who we are. And if you've been through that, you know some of what I'm talking about. Now, if someone had come up to me, and for those of you who don't know this, my dad died when I was your age. If someone would have come up to me the day after my dad died and said, hey, Romans 8:28, brother, God's working all things together for your good, I'd have punched them in the face. I just would have. I was a very angry kid. And that's tactless to say that to someone in their tragedy. But with some perspective and some distance, you can look back and see how God really was working to take a terrible situation and bring good out of it in a way that, like, it, 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 it blows my mind. I don't know how God does that. So um, 
if, if you are someone who's got some bad things going on in your life, I just want to encourage you to talk to somebody about it. Don't be alone in that. And I'm sorry uh, if, if you've got those things going on. Uh, staying in the same, same vein, uh, questions. I realize I have a numbering issue up here, but uh, I'll just read them. Why did God make people born with problems, diseases, disabilities, and stuff they have to struggle with? Uh, someone said, I'm autistic. Is there something wrong with me? And how does God look at neurodivergent people and say this is good? Why did he choose to make people this way? Especially low-functioning people who will never live a good life because of their differences. Sometimes it's hard to wrestle with these things. Hear me, I, this is not for show. This man. To my friend on the spectrum who, who asked this, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. That's, that's biblical. That's not me saying that. You were uniquely handcrafted by God. There's nothing wrong with you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I can't answer this first question. though. I, I, I can't. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord and we are accountable only for the things he's revealed to us. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 say, My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Who are we to give counsel to God? There are things in this world I can't explain. And I respect you too much to lie to you and try to give you some pat, slick, Christianese answer. It's hard. But um, I think God sees you. He knows you. He loves you. Yeah, Gene, you want to add anything to that? Just the idea that we all have purpose. I mean, if we go around this room, we all have struggles. We all have trials. You know, n nobody has a perfect life, you know. But yet somehow God says, you know what? I made you. I called you, right? I invited you in a relationship with me. And, and Kevin's right. We all have a purpose, whatever that purpose has to be. Um, you know, I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. Mother was an alcoholic. Father was a workaholic. Uh, so there was not a lot of attention. Uh, they got divorced, and it just went off the rails on both sides. But yet, somehow, at 52, I'm still here, and God continues to use me in ways where I get to see Him glorified. So even as you're going through things, like Kevin said, um, it doesn't mean that it feels good, but that this is the part where you're developing faith by saying, okay, God, what I'm going through and what's happening, I don't like. But if you have a purpose for me, then I need you to encourage me. I need you to speak to me in a way that I can receive it so that I can keep going forward. And sometimes that is friends. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's a pastor. It's a coach. It's a teacher. Uh, it's something that gets you connected with other people. Because the number one thing, I know we're going to talk about some other things in a minute, but... Um, isolation is the worst thing for the feeling of your purpose being met. Um, you have an enemy out there who wants to isolate you. He wants you not to be here. He wants you not to be connected. And he wants you to get stuck in your mind where you think that you're worthless and that you're ugly and that you're no good and all those kinds of things. He wants you to compare yourself to everybody else who seems to have the best life because... And I'm going to say Instagram, but I'm sure you guys are on things I can't even pronounce anymore, but I'm still on Instagram. so TikTok, yeah. G. Well, no, we can't do that. That's been taken away, right? I don't think so. Okay. I thought the Chinese took that away. Is TikTok still running yeah. as of today, everyone? I just saw panic. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> my TikTok. 
No, I think it's still going. Okay. Uh, is Snapchat still going on? Yeah. Okay. Any one of those things. MySpace. MySpace. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Tom's still around? No. Um, no. Those things create this look like everybody's got the perfect life. And we know it's not true, but we get sucked into thinking it is because we see a picture that was taken 15 times or a video <laughs> that was taken 10 times to get it perfect. Am I hitting on something? Uh, you're hitting, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that's not how life is. That's not reality, but people want it to be reality instead of going, you know what? The most beautiful thing is to walk through something very difficult and still be with those people when you get to the other side. So one of my prayers for you is that you find those people that you can start walking through life with so mm. that you're not by yourself. Because there are plenty of times where I call and talk to people and I go, man, I just think I can't do this counseling thing anymore. And I got to talk to somebody else who's like, hey, I'm here for you. And then on the flip side, I'm there for them at other times. Hmm. That's a good word. Hey, everybody do me a favor. Stand up real quick. Everybody stand to your feet. I know we're kind of, it's a lot. Shake it out. Do whatever you need to do. You need to stretch. Scratch your back. Back. Turn and smile at a neighbor. Do whatever you got. Just a little, little break here. We've got kind of a marathon thing going on. If, if you are new or you're back for the first time in a long time, I promise you we don't normally sit and talk for this long together like this. But we're trying to get through these questions. So, all right. Once you feel good about it, you can sit back down. Just wanted to get up. Last week I saw somebody fall asleep in the middle of the questions and I didn't want to call them out, so I just figured we'd, we'd try this today. All right, we're going to keep moving. 26, why aren't cave people mentioned in the Bible? 27, why aren't dinosaurs mentioned in the Bible? 28, when did dinosaurs exist? 29, always been a little confused about the timeline. Dinosaurs, Adam and Eve, I don't get how it all fits together. Dinosaurs, this topic was our second most asked question, probably because when I was giving you examples that day, I said, yeah, you could ask questions about the dinosaurs. And people were like, that's a good oh, that's about the dinosaurs. Um, so cave people, uh, <laughs> we're getting back into this conversation, you know, the old earth, new earth conversation. I would tell you descendants of Adam and Eve, like that's, mm -hmm. that's who they were. So it's just, just my very uneducated take on that. And you're like, oh, I know more than you. Cool. Come educate me. That'd be great. Uh, why aren't dinosaurs mentioned in the Bible? They are. So <laughs> maybe I know more than you. Um, <laughs> if you want to go read in Job chapter 40, Job is a great book um, in the Old Testament that, that I wonder if some of us have never even bothered to read it. But in Job 40, uh, God is having this conversation back and forth with Job. Uh, 40, Job 40, uh, verses 15 through 24. And God just starts describing this animal. Now, if you were looking in your Bible, it might translate it as behemoth. Uh, and then I, my Bible even has a footnote that says, The identification of behemoth is disputed, ranging from an earthly creature to a mythical sea creature in ancient literature mm -hmm. to dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. um, he, he talks about how big and how powerful and how indomitable this animal is. Like, I don't think he's probably talking about, you know, something small scale. So dinosaurs, I would say, probably are mentioned in the Bible. Well, when were they made? Like, when, when did, like, they couldn't have lived at the same time as the humans. They were made on the sixth day. That was the same day that all the other land animals were made. And if they were aquatic dinosaurs, guess what? They were made on day five which like I'm going back to the Bible, like this is what we believe. Well, how, 
how could possibly they have lived at the same time as humans? You know, we don't know as far as where they were in relation to the humans. Uh, people debate whether animals died before the fall, you know, before, before death entered into the world. You can do some research on that. Um, you know, what happened to the dinosaurs? Did the flood wipe them out? Did they just not make it onto the boat? Seems likely. Uh, and then this goes into some more dino questions. Why did God kill the dinosaurs? Does God let mass extinction happen? And then why do people, parentheses, Jesus, ride donkeys <laughs> instead of dinos? Thank you for that uh, deep critical thinking, 32, uh -huh. whoever you are. Um, simply, I would say dinosaurs are not the only animal who are not still alive today. I don't know why I remember the dodo bird of all the animals, but there was something about the dodo bird that I remember learning in elementary school. And guess what? They're not here today either, but man, we fixate mm. on the dinosaurs. Um, does God let mass extinction happen? Specifically as it relates to these animals? Yeah, I would say yes, because it happened. And I pray. Let's go back to things you should pray for. Pray to God Almighty, the Jurassic Park never happens, okay? They, always, it goes bad, okay? Da, da, da. They get out, okay? They're coming for you. So, yeah, I don't love them, but anyway, that's me. And then, you know, why did Jesus ride a donkey instead of a dino? Zechariah 9.9, it was prophesied. So there you go, there's a real answer for you. You didn't expect to get one, but you got it. All right, now, Gene, because I love you and I value our friendship, I gave you both the number one most asked question and the one I think is going to hurt people's feelings the most. But I love you, and we can talk about it later. So here they are. Gene, will people, I want to read them. Will my dog go to heaven? Do all animals go to heaven? Specifically, will my dog go? I love the heart of this person. Will animals go? But, I mean, I don't really care about everybody else's animal. Will my dog go? <laughs> Uh, you were smart enough to not ask about cats, so that's we'll leave that hey, there. Oh, hey. oh, Gene, you a cat guy? I am. Oh, whoops. Black cat, too. Oh, well, all right. Uh, Gene and I will have to do some counseling after <laughs> you this. You don't love me anymore, do I you? I like cats. Uh, it's just a cat joke. I'm seeing the anger come out, Lynn. Yeah. Don't, don't invite him next week. Quick to listen, slow <laughs> to speak. Uh, will animals go to heaven, and then will my pets go to heaven? If not, will I grieve that loss? And I promise you, this is me boiling down the like dozen other of you who ask variations of this. So, Gene, take it away. Kevin says no. <laughs> Thank you, Gene. <laughs> That's my answer. I, I really enough. don't think so. That's just my opinion. Yes, there's evidence of, of animals in heaven. We see uh, specifically horses. Um, but here's, here's my thought on that. Um, if your cat or dog or whatever you have is not in heaven, I really don't think it's going to matter to you. And you go, how could you say that? I've had this dog for... But when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to be so overwhelming that it's not going to matter. And if they're not there, you're not going to be grieving because there's no sadness in heaven. Mm. But to personally, I don't think so. But it, if they're there, that's awesome. Yeah. Well-intentioned people, that guy, he's leaving because yeah, of what you just said. Thanks for that, well, Gene. I'm just kidding. It, it was the black cat thing. Yeah, Listen, we, we got into this in the office this week. Michelle Nolan, if you happen <laughs> uh -oh. to hear this later, uh, I know how much you love your animals. Uh, people, people will say, you know, they have the breath of life in them. The distinction, you know, did God breathe life into them? Listen, I don't think Fido and Fluffy are going to be there. That's me. I could be wrong. I'm just a guy, all right? And if you want to believe that they'll be there, that's between you and Jesus. I do think there will be animals there, mm -hmm. and that's awesome. Um, 
And, and I just don't think there'll be grief in the presence of Jesus. Uh, I think Gene is exactly mm-hmm. right. Number 37 kind of takes the Andy from 36 and ramps it up a notch and asks, will we grieve our loved ones that went to hell while we're in heaven? Man, I, I have loved ones who have passed away who I don't, I don't think they're with Jesus, and I grieve for them here in this world. But to Gene's point, and here's Scripture to back it up, Revelation 24, 20, verse 4, says there'll be no more tears, no more sadness in heaven. I think it'll be such a focus on the good that we've gained, we won't be caught up in the loss. And I know you're like, how could you say that to me? Think about it like this. Think about, and Christmas is not that long ago in the past, think about on Christmas morning, you get through all the presents, there's only one left, and you did not get that like medium present. You know, you know what I mean when I say a medium present? Do you know what I'm saying? You didn't get that medium present you wanted. You're super bummed out. But you open that last present, and it is the greatest present that you could possibly imagine. You didn't even dare to ask for it, but your parents love you so well, they got it for you anyway. And you're like, holy moly, don't even care that I didn't get that medium present. Mm. You're like, you heartless person, you just compared my dog to a medium present. It's not... It's not a perfect analogy, people. What I'm trying to say is what we will gain in Jesus is far greater than what we will have lost. And I'm not saying that you won't have lost something, but what you gain is greater. So I'm trying to be sensitive to the heart of what could be behind that. Okay. And and one thing to keep in mind is these are great questions, by the way. And I think these are questions that have probably come to everybody. But we're thinking of them from a worldly perspective. And you mentioned it earlier. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. It will be different in heaven. It will be a different reality. And so I think we are reasoning this as humans. But when we have passed on to heaven, it'll be different. And we don't know what that's going to be mm-hmm. like. There's going to be a lot of unanswered questions. Yeah. My, my, well, what was your best Christmas present ever? What would you say it was? I don't, I don't know, Gene. Uh, you put me on the spot. I don't, probably a well, you've been doing it to me the I'm whole sorry. time. I'm sorry, yeah, so, that's fair. Like, you know. That's fair. Pro- like, I got a lot of books one Christmas, and I didn't have a lot books. of friends. That, yeah, thanks. <laughs> books. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of friends, man. Books were my friends. So mm. I just came out, and there was a ton of books. Mine was the, the uh, warm-up outfit from Rocky Three. Anybody see that one? He had no. a sweatsuit he wore, and I had some New Balances. Raise your hand if you don't know who Rocky is. <laughs> Fair enough. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for that honesty. It's okay. Google it's right. Sylvester Stallone, Rocky Three. Da-da-da. Yes, I have the tiger. What's your all favorite right. Rocky, Gene? Mm. Somewhere between three and four. Four. Four for me. It's tough. All right. Adults Soundtrack. in the room, we can debate it later. All right, Gene, I'm throwing this one over to you. Okay. Uh, this, this is a good question. These were in the batch last week. We moved them to this week because we didn't get to them. How can we tell God's voice from our own? How do you know when God is giving you a sign... And how do you decipher whether it's just Satan trying to trick you? And then question 40, how do we differentiate God's voice from our own or others' opinions? Great question. I think it comes with time and exposure and experience with God. How many of you know when your parents are asking you something and telling you to do something, and you know you have at least three more times before they really mean what they're saying? (laughs) Right? I heard someone laugh way back there. I heard that chuckle. But, the, yeah. but then when they say it a certain way, you're like, whoa. And you kind of pay attention. They okay. throw that middle name out there. The middle name, and there's a heightened intensity to it. Um, I think the same thing happens with God. Not in a necessarily in a punishing way, but in a way where as you read the Bible and as you pray, you begin to um, see it and hear it in all different places. It may never be audible to you. But here's a good way to check on that. Is it, does it match up with Scripture? 
And what is it telling me to do in relationship to other people? So if it's telling me, Perry said this today, vengeance is God. So if you want to get revenge against somebody, that's obviously not God. If you want to do something to make someone else feel bad because they made you feel bad, that's not God, right? And again, I'll say this over and over again. <clears throat> Go to people that you trust to say, hey, I have this decision. I'm struggling. I'm not sure what to do. Um, my daughter, who graduated from here last year from Malden High School, is at Anderson. Any Anderson folks? All right. I got it. <laughs> She, uh, we looked at several colleges, <clears throat> and when she got on the campus at Anderson, we were about halfway through the tour, she said, this is the place. And I said, how do you know? She said, I just feel like it is. Hmm. There was something on the inside of her. Because remember, when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is deposited inside of you. And he has two jobs, two main jobs. One, he's going to convince you of the truth. And two, he's going to convict you of sin. So when you do something that you know is wrong, the Holy Spirit is there going, that was wrong. He's not condemning you, but he's going, stop doing that. But he also convinces you of truth. So when, when I told you a while ago that, that God loved you and he adopted you and it gave you great joy, some of you in the inside of you were going, I don't believe that. Mm. My life doesn't show that. The Holy Spirit's job is to say, well, I'm going to keep reminding you of that. And that's where you begin to decipher Hey, is God really speaking to me? And you know what? All you have to do is say, God, make yourself clear to me. Yeah. And just keep asking. Keep asking, God, what is it that you're trying to communicate to me? And I have found as a Christian for the last 27 years uh, that he's faithful to do that. That's a good word. Uh, I want to encourage you. This is kind of throwing back to fall retreat. For those of you who were there with us, we talked about silence stillness, solitude. You've got to create space to hear from God. If you've got your life turned up to 11 all the time, you've always got music going, you've always got your screens on, you're always engaged with something, you're like, I don't know why I can't hear from God. I do. You've got everything else turned up, you've got Him turned down. So make some space to hear from God and, and do just what Gene said. Just ask Him, God, what do you want me to know? A pastor that, that we used to work with here named David Hardy would always ask us, to pray, God, what do you want me to know right now? To just ask God to reveal truth to you is a powerful, powerful thing. Um, so that's, that's a good word. Uh, 41, and, and I, caveat here, I don't know fully the context of this question. Do love and hate have similar meanings? The very simple surface answer is no. For the person who asks this, if, if you're asking from a linguistic standpoint, like, come see me so we can talk more about it. I mean, both obviously require passion. But I, I just I didn't have enough context. So come see me. Love you enough that we can, we can dive into it. All right, we're in the home stretch. I promise you, got just a handful left. Uh, let's look at this set of four right here. How should I combat depression and overthinking in a God-honoring way? Is suicide a sin? If so, why? What's your opinion on depression, etc.? And when could we meet with someone to talk about the Lord or whatever things we might have? I'm going to throw these first three to Gene in just a second, but to answer that last one, literally any time, if, if you've got something going on, you want to talk mm -hmm. with somebody, mm -hmm. hit us up. If you're like, I don't know how to get a hold of you, come see me tonight. I will give you my cell phone number. You can come call me, talk with your group leader, mm -hmm. ask them if there's a way you can get a hold of them. Like, we are here for you. So you can always come and talk to us about any of this type of thing. But Gene, can you talk to us about... Depression, anxiety, overthinking, paralysis by analysis, touch on suicide. I, I'm giving you 
uh, some heavy stuff here, but take it away for us if you could, Gene. Well, first of all, um, depression is real. So whoever asked what's your opinion, it's very real and you take it seriously because it can lead to people taking their lives or injuring themselves or harming themselves. <clears throat> um, I've had people ask me that question a lot. Like, well, is it, is it hereditary and is it a, like a chemical imbalance and do I need drugs to help me deal with depression? Um, those are all great questions. Let me back up a little bit. Your thoughts are the, one of the most important things that you have. If you begin to think depressing thoughts, you will become depressed because there's four drugs in your brain and the easiest way to remember is dose, like getting a dose of something. Dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. Gene, Gene, for those of us who are a little bit slower. Seriously, give <laughs> I us- I thought give you us. read books. Oh. <laughs> teach you to think. Give them to us again. Dopamine. Look at your anger thing. Oxytocin. <laughs> Serotonin. Yeah. And endorphins. Listen, I'm here to learn too, people. I know. Why you too? All right, go ahead. And those are all four chemicals in your brain that you need. And usually when you're depressed, you're missing them at some level. The problem is if you continue to be without them, you can get depressed to the point where you do need drugs to help you get back up to a baseline. So a lot of you look like you participate in sports. If you get out of the habit of participating in sports, what happens to your muscles? You get weak, they atrophy. And then what happens is, is, is your wind goes down and you can't do anything and then you have to get back in shape. Well, it's kind of the same way with your thoughts. That's why your enemy comes after your thoughts. Because if I can get your thoughts, then I can control your emotions. So that's one thing to be aware of. What am I thinking? Where are my thoughts taking me? And if my thoughts are taking me to the future, oh, this is going to be horrible. This isn't going to go well. Then guess what? That can become my reality. How many of you have ever gone into a test and you studied for it, but you were like, I'm going to do poor on this. And you did poor, but you knew it. Guess what? You talked yourself out of it. Okay, how does that connect to suicide? Well, obviously suicide is when someone gets to a place where the depression is so deep they've lost hope. And so they see the only way out is taking their life. Is it a sin? Yes, because it's murder. Is it eternal? No. If you are saved, if you gave your life to Jesus and he is your Lord and Savior, and some people would say this is controversial, but if you even took your own life as a result... That doesn't nullify it because the Bible says, God said, I wrote you in the palm of my hand. Okay? There are some theologies out there that say, if every time you sin, you don't apologize for it and repent, then you could go to hell if you created a sin, like the last sin of your life, it would send you to hell. Well, that doesn't make any sense to me when I look at what the Bible says. I see where people take it, but if God is our God and he wants you to be his daughter or his son then why would he want to make it so difficult on you to get to heaven? The Bible says, for whosoever will. This is open to everybody. And all we have to do is receive the gift that was given to us. Okay? So, if you are in a place, and this goes back to the talking to someone. Yes, we, we have many pastors. We have many lay leaders who would be willing, or volunteers who would be willing to talk to you and talk through some stuff. Right? You don't have to feel like you have to go through these things alone. Because 
I was a teacher and administrator and coach for 14 years, and I saw, I dealt more with problems that students had than I did with teaching. My, I was an English teacher. I dealt, most of my time was dealing with students who were like, hey, can I come talk to you? And it doesn't take much to encourage somebody. It just takes that eye-to-eye conversation to say, you know what, I'm with you. I, I can't walk it for you, but I can walk with you. Hmm. And that's what we're trying to do as we go through all these questions is we're just equipping you. We're just trying to give you some things to think of. And if any of these things really resonate, you've got great leaders that you can say, hey, can you lead me to some other stuff that I can continue? Apparently, he has a lot of books. You might be able to borrow <laughs> one of them. Um, I want to I want to say a few things, and I want to yeah. throw a question back to you that's not on this. Just again, I we're joking up here, but I am sitting here learning um, from from Gene. One of the things that I think the enemy tries to do is is isolate. Gene said this earlier. He'll he'll try to shame you and go, "Hey, don't talk to anybody about those thoughts." Mm-hmm. Do you know what people would think of you if they knew that you felt like you felt like that? Yep. You, you big strong Christian leader. They wouldn't let you do this. They wouldn't let you do that. Blah 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 blah. Shame and isolation never come from God. And this comes back to hearing God's voice. That does not come from God. So if you're struggling, man, talk to somebody. Not everybody has to know your business. Somebody's got to know at least a piece of it. So talk to somebody. Um, And this is also not a new thing. Like, please don't think that this is completely a brand new thing. Now, there are a lot of studies that I could bore you with. And I'm going to be that crotchety old man for a minute. Uh, the social medias, there's a direct correlation with the amount of time you spend on social media and the rise of anxiety and depression. Gene touched on this. If you don't believe that, you think I'm just making this up, I'll show you the data. It's true. That being said, so unplugged, maybe some of you would be a great step. That being said, there are people in the Bible who struggle with depression. First Kings 19, go read that for somebody in this room. That'd be great for you. That chapter talks on hearing from God in a gentle whisper. It also touches on a man who had come to the end of himself and just wanted to die. It happened. It was real. And God spoke into that in a loving way. Part of that love was telling him, here's some food, take a nap. Some of y'all need to practice some better, like literal health. Stop eating garbage. Eat some real actual food. Get some sleep. And so, Gene, that brings me to my question I want to ask you because I, spending time with high school students the way I do, I, I feel like, I'm not trying to be ugly to y'all, but some of y'all wear it like a badge. I'm like, I was up till 2 o'clock in the morning. I was up till 3 o'clock. And I go, you're both dumb. What are you doing? So, Gene, my question to you is, I'm like, wow, you just dunked on those kids. How does, how does rest play into some of, like, the physiological pieces with anxiety, depression, like, am, am I crazy in thinking that this is like deeply tied in or who, who speaks like that? Though? That was the voice. Can you do that again? I don't know, man. Is that I... Mac, was that Dossie? Is that how he talked? That was Mac Dossie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kidding, Mac. I love you, dude. Here's what happens when you go to sleep at night. Um, your brain takes everything that you took in that day, which goes back to what he's saying about social media and flipping and flipping and flipping and, you know, all that information And it basically says, okay, some of this we need and the rest of it we don't. And so what it does is it puts information into file folders in your brain so that you can remember it later and it gets rid of the rest, okay? So when you don't get enough sleep or you don't get good rest, your brain can't do that and you get overwhelmed because all those files are sitting in your brain and they haven't been processed yet. Hmm. So if you want to think of it that way, it's, uh, is this being taped? It is. Okay, never mind. Um, <laughs> oh, I was going to just use an example. If you, know, if you ever eat food and you kind of get 
stopped up and you need help kind of getting Constipation station? Yeah. That's what happens in your brain. So if you go days and weeks or you just have bad habits Mm. of not getting enough sleep and staying up, then what's happening over a period of time is, is basically you can't process it all. And so then you get overwhelmed and then you forget the things that you do need. And then you start looking at ways to feel up by again, drinking Red Bulls or getting, you know, double espressos. And what that does is send you up and down all day. Yeah. So yes, it's okay. The short answer is yes, it's tied. Hear me. I, some of y'all stay up late and you think you're so cool. I played Call of Duty till three o'clock in the morning. Okay, great. Like some of you doom scroll on TikTok. You know what yeah. I'm talking about. You sit down and go, I'll look for like 10 minutes and three hours goes by. Mm-hmm. You know who I'm talking to. You need to unplug, just literally get some sleep and you'd be surprised how much that could help you mm-hmm. with some of this stuff. Hey, I want to plug Gene and the care department. We have a whole department at Brookwood just for caring for people. And you're like, don't the other departments care? No, that's why we have Gene <laughs> and his department, okay? We do care. But if, if you're saying, man, I, I need to get some help with some of this stuff, come just have a quick word with Gene here in just a minute when we're done, all right? He'd love to, yep. to help get you connected, and he can give me some resources. I can give you resources. We can create a chain. Last two questions, and we'll get out of here. What does it mean to submit yourself to Jesus, and how do I grow closer to Jesus? I, I thought a lot about how to answer this. My very simple answer is this. To submit to Jesus means he gets to be in charge, not me. Most of us hate the idea of somebody else being in charge. If you've got authority issues, doesn't even matter who it is. Don't do that. Bet I will do it. I'm going to do it even more now. Watch. That's pride. And pride goes before the fall. That's what the Bible tells us. Submitting to Jesus doesn't mean that you've got it all figured out. It doesn't mean you're some kind of super Christian. It just means that you let Jesus call the shots. How do I know what Jesus wants me to do? Pick up your Bible and read it. I'm not a very good reader. Get the Bible app. It will read it to you, sometimes with dramatic music in the background. It's awesome. Okay? You've got to get into this book. And you go, I don't have time to read. My friend, you don't have time to, to not do it. Like, you can't afford to not know what God says for your life. That's what it means to submit to Jesus. And how do you grow closer to him? You prioritize him above some of these other things. Mm-hmm. It's easy to take the pot shots at social media. And I, listen, I don't think social media is all evil. But anything, anything that takes priority over Jesus, you know what the Bible calls that? An idol. And so much of Scripture talks about tearing down idols. They're not just totem poles that people bow down to. Anything that's more important to you, your grades, your dating relationships, your family, anything that's more important to you than Jesus is an idol, and it's got to be torn down. So prioritize Jesus, put Him first, care about the things He cares about. What does Jesus care about? Open this book and find out. I love you. Thank you for being here for this. I know this has been kind of a weird night. And I want to just end by challenging everybody to take a step. I don't know what your step is. You might be further along in your relationship with Jesus than I am. Amen. Hallelujah. Keep going. Take a step. If this is all new or you're like, I disagree. I don't know. I want to do more research. Take that step. All of us, adult leaders in the room, we have a step we can take and we can grow in. So I challenge you to take the step. Students, take a step. Gene, would you mind closing us out in prayer? And then you guys uh, will be dismissed. Father, we do thank you that you gave us this time this evening, Lord. And I know we went over a lot of things and 
Lord, many of us may have been distracted. Many of us weren't paying attention. We were talking to the person beside us. And, uh, and maybe we didn't hear anything. Uh, but God, you have a way of bringing those things back to us, if that's the case. And God, I trust that for each person in this room, there is something that you want them to remember. And God, I pray that you will do that. And I know that your thoughts towards us are good. Uh, that your love for us is eternal. Uh, your love for us doesn't change based on our behavior. But God, as Kevin has said, Lord, if, if we're not making you a priority, uh, God, I pray that you will help us take that step. Because your word says that if we will lose our life for you, that you'll give us something that is beyond what we could do on our own. And Lord, that takes a, takes a step at a time. And maybe there's a step for someone in this room tonight to finally trust you as Lord and Savior. And uh, God, I pray that you won't let anyone leave unless that has happened in their lives. But Lord, as they go home, I pray that you just remind them uh, of your love for them. And uh, as they go to uh, their routine tonight, God, I pray that if they are on social media and staying up late, that you'll be reminding them of our conversation so that they can get sleep and be rested. And um, we love you, Lord. We thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.